Mortal Kombat. Welcome to Nothing New Under the Sun. It's a podcast about those brilliant and brutal movie remakes, those franchises that Hollywood just won't let die. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about Mortal Kombat. I'm one of your co-hosts, Dave, and this here is my co-host, Mike. What's new today? Nothing's new, Dave. I am extremely excited to jump into our time machine here and uh, talk about this quintessential 90s franchise that is Mortal Kombat. Um, a, a game and movie franchise that uh, has shaped the way our current entertainment world uh, currently operates. Um, it's crazy how much things changed uh, once Mortal Kombat was released. Was there a game for the time that was like as violent as Mortal Kombat? I feel like Mortal Kombat is the quintessential, like parents were worried about it, violent game. Maybe like Doom? I'm thinking about that Simpsons episode where Bart wants Marge to buy him like Bone Saw or whatever the fuck it was called. <laughs> it's like it, Bone Storm. He's like, it's like Bone Storm. He's like, buy me Bone Storm or, or go to hell. <laughs> and it's like insane. It's, it's all Goros. Like all the characters have forearms and they're all like killing each other like the entire time, ripping their heads off and stuff. It was not the most violent game for the time. Um, there was. There was a couple really, really violent games. Um, we, we will get into it uh, very shortly. But uh, Mortal Kombat was definitely the, one of the biggest promoted of all of the violent video games for the time. Uh, it, Mortal Kombat, I, I, don't, I don't know. I remember both of our childhoods pretty well. But I don't remember if you were as into Mortal Kombat as I was. Uh, I had every Mortal Kombat game um, as soon as they came out. Uh, probably until I was like... I reached an age uh, somewhere around high school where I was like, "Well, I, I'm I'm cool and I don't play video games. <laughs> I'm, I'm a cool guy. I don't. I'm not a nerd." But uh, <laughs> I remember this being one of my favorite uh, video game franchises that I uh, that I ever played as a kid. Um, I would always go out. We I remember specifically I'd go out to Blockbuster and I'd rent every single game and beat it. Um, like and then uh, return it, and then rent it the next week or so, just to beat it again. Uh, Test I, this, your might. It, it filled so much of my childhood. Um, I, what was your experience as a kid with Mortal Kombat? I feel like, you know, like I definitely played it for the first time at my cousin's house in their basement on their Sega Genesis. Uh, it was like way too violent for my parents to let me get it, and then when I would play it at my cousin's house, it was like, it was awesome. I couldn't believe it. Uh, like playing like Mortal Kombat and also playing like Duke Nukem at my friend's house. It was like just slightly more violent than like um, slightly more adult than like Doom or um, or Wolfenstein that my dad would let me play. Duke Nukem was like the next level. And so I remember having like fighting games, but Mortal Kombat was like next level violent because of the fatalities and the blood and stuff. I remember like on N64 even, like when I first got an N64, it came out in 96. Um and my mom would make me turn off the blood in Turok, or you could make the blood like green, you know, so it wasn't like, it wasn't <laughs> oh, super... Oh, so it's fine. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's not violent then. Uh, but the main memory I have of Mortal Kombat was, do you remember in Manville, like near where we grew up, there was that place that you, people would go to have birthdays at, um, and it was like an arcade place? Like it was all like pinball machines. It was a machines. store. There was a store that sold arcade cabinets, and they would host video game uh, parties. Yes. Yeah, and so I remember playing Mortal Kombat there and getting 
like wicked good at just Sub-Zero only. Like I was like only interested <laughs> in playing as Sub-Zero. Uh, and for our listeners, you would go to this place and they would unlock all the cabinets for like, you know, two hours or whatever. And you could just play games infinite times. So we would play like uh, Mortal Kombat and you'd play like Marvel vs. Capcom. Uh, and I remember just being obsessed with Sub-Zero. And eventually, uh, by the time I got a PlayStation 1, my parents were, I was just, you know, whatever, maybe 10 years old. My parents were cool with whatever game. And so I got Mortal Kombat Trilogy on PlayStation 1. And that's the one with, it's the 2D Mortal Kombat, but it's the one that has every character, you know, even the extremely obscure weird ones. Um, like Mortal Kombat Annihilation that we'll talk about, they get into some weird ones. Like they have the the Minotaur guy, Motaro, uh, and they have some of like the the purple and red ninjas, like Ermac and Rain. Uh, so Mortal Kombat Trilogy was my jam on PlayStation 1. Mortal Kombat is a 1992 fighting game uh, developed by Ed Boon and to, uh, John Tobias, um, which would launch an entire franchise of 22 games. Uh, Ed Boon and John Tobias are both from Chicago. Um, Ed Boon was a computer science and mathematics major from the University of Illinois who had a passing uh, interest in video games. It was kind of a field he was interested in being a part of, but he didn't really know how to join. And he was actually found by a headhunter for Midway Games who reached out to him and wanted to bring him in for an interview. Yeah, I was going to say um, Midway he, is there is the who they worked for, right? Right. Uh, Midway um, reaches out to Ed Boon. They offer him an interview. He thinks he's going in uh, to be a video game programmer. And when he shows up for his interview, he is informed that he will be hired to program pinball machines. Uh, which which is not what, at all what he was uh, interested in at the time. But Midway was a big uh, pinball machine distributing company. So that's what they, I guess they needed him to start doing. So he got to start in the company um, working on pinball machines. John Tobias was a comic book artist um, who made his name uh, as the artist behind the real Ghostbusters comic, which is based on the cartoon of the same name. Oh. Um, and he got really interested in video games and taught himself how to program some games um, until he was proficient at programming like 8-bit and 16-bit animations. And that's how he got his way into Midway. So both these guys were working for Midway Games. Um, and Midway had developed a new technology that allowed them to take videos of real actors and render them into 32-bit animations um, based on the videos from like Super 8 cameras. Yeah, I was so, going to say, that's like what the, the hallmark of Mortal Kombat is, right? Is that it's like real people in like stop motion animation. Right. So they were they had used this to do a couple games. Uh, Ed Boon had done this game. Um, what was it called? It was called Smash TV, which was a, a, um, a arcade console game, uh, not, a, not a home console game. Right. Uh, and uh, John Tobias had done a football game. And they both were having a conversation and um, kind of lamenting how the technology was so cool, but the things that they're working on don't allow them to show off just how cool it is. When you have Smash TV or you have this football game that John Tobias was doing, uh, all the characters are really small in it. So you can't really see um, just how realistic the the digitalization technology allowed these these character animations to be. So they wanted to create a game that would really show off just how, how cool and realistic they thought it looked. Um, and they settled on a fighting game because it would allow them to have only two characters on the screen and they could have them as large and prominent as possible to show off just how realistic the, the digitalization process uh, made those characters look. And that's, um, that's kind of how they got to, uh, to the Mortal Kombat formula. 
Their original idea was to create a fighting game based on um, a mix between Bloodsport and Universal Soldier, which were two movies starring Jean-Claude Van Damme around the time. Yeah, hell yeah. Love Bloodsport. And they wanted uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme to be in the game. So the the idea was like it would be like Jean-Claude Van Damme fighting like a variety of ninjas, uh, and they would just move forward from there using Jean-Claude Van Damme and a couple other actors to get the footage that they needed to create the the little the, the fighter characters. Um, but Jean-Claude Van Damme was already uh, contracted to a different game, which actually never ended up being released, but he had to <laughs> he had to turn down Mortal Kombat. So Jean-Claude Van Damme turned into Johnny Cage, um, who was like the I feel like a, like a dig of uh, John Claude Van Damme uh, was like a like arrogant like prick kind of yeah the two above, <laughs> the two above it all movie star right in and fact he, I think uh, one of his lines in Mortal Kombat the original game is I'm too busy to do your game Ed Boon <laughs> is that what he says right before his his fatality right yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> um so that so he's based off of he was supposed to be John Claude Van Damme he ends up being a original character Johnny Cage. And the uh, the other characters are just kind of generic um, ninja characters and generic characters based on uh, kung fu movies that were really popular at the time that John Tobias was really into. Uh, and they filled in the character lore from there, which um, during during the early days, they didn't have to do cutscenes or anything. It was really just <laughs> a black screen text. with scrolling text that would show up <laughs> and tell you all about the history of Scorpion and, and Sub-Zero and Johnny Cage and Liu Kang, uh, just the, all the lore would be there for you to unlock as you completed the game with different characters. You could tell, like, um, they just had one model for, like, they had smoke or something, right? And then they just palette swapped the uh, the colors well, smoke out. Smoke come later. I, I I'm pretty sure it was just Sub Zero and Scorpion for the first game. Oh no, I just mean like they had like like they just have like a gray, like you know what I mean? Like they have like a like a neutral colored ninja character. And they're like, oh, there's the blue one, and then there's the yellow one, and then later yep. on they're like, oh, like, they're like, okay, there's, there's the green the red one. one, and there's the green one, and <laughs> yeah. there's the purple one, right. <laughs> and right. there's the black one. <laughs> um, yeah, they they absolutely did that. Um, Scorpion and Sub Zero were played by the same guy. He did all their uh, moves, and then they they color corrected the the character animations. Um, there was a couple different actors who were involved in the process, uh, um, but all of it was made just to replace this Jean-Claude Van Damme game that they, they originally wanted to with lore that they could come up with uh, on the spot. <laughs> so um, one the, uh, we already talked about it. One of the biggest things that this game had, uh, the, the main selling point of Mortal Kombat over other fighting games was the fatalities. Yeah. Uh, the fatalities came apart because they wanted to have a finishing move that bosses like Shang Tsung and Goro could do um, when they beat you. Uh, Shang Tsung specifically was going to pull out a sword and like cut your head off if you lost to him. Um, and then somewhere along the process of creating that, they were like, well, wouldn't it be cool if the players could do that to whoever their opponent was, especially if this is an arcade console? You like some random guy walks up to you and you get to do something to the equivalent of like pulling out your sword and cutting off that guy's head. That kind of stuff had never been done in um, multiplayer like arcade console games. So. That was where they came up with the idea for fatalities from. Uh, there was a mode in the game where it's almost like, uh, do you remember the old SmackDown versus Raw games where you could make someone groggy? Hell yeah. And then like yep. just hit them continuously? Yeah. The, uh, there was a mode in the game where you'd be fighting someone and you could make them I th- like it, like a dizzy mode where they're, it's essentially what happens when you when you have your fatality and the guy's yeah. just standing there and he's Finish all woozy. Him. Yeah. Um, they were going to do that like mid-fight where you could have that happen to a guy 
But when they were testing the game out, whoever would be playing as a character and their character would get woozy, like the fun was just kind of sucked out of the game. Because right. at that point, like there's nothing, you're just watching someone kick your ass. And <laughs> there's nothing you could do. <laughs> so they're like, all right, just move that to the end then. And that's where we can put the fatality in. The person will be all woozy and then you have a chance to to put in the, the button combination that will um, create the fatality. Yeah, when you lose in Mortal Kombat and your guy is groggy and it says finish him, the sense of dread that overwhelms you when you're like, oh my God, do they know the combo for their guy's fatality? <laughs> and you're like, you have to watch Sub-Zero like pull your spine out or something. It's such a perfect addition because not only, all right, you're, you're, the, you're the person who just lost, right? You're now wondering if this guy knows the fatality to make some crazy thing happen and embarrass you. Exactly. Rip out your spine or whatever. Exactly. But also, if you're the winner, you have to now be like, oh, fuck. What yeah, was it again? On. Was it Pressure's down, back, on. down, back, down, back, X? Or was it down, back, down, back, down, back, Y? I can't remember. And you have to be in the right like uh, distance from the opponent yeah. to make yep. sure that you get the t- thing to move. But also, if you're just some random 14-year-old or less kid, 9-year-old kid at the arcade, and you're watching two teenagers play Mortal Kombat, and one of them does Scorpion's thing where he rips his mask off, and he's a skull, and he breathes fire all over his opponent and burns him to death, like, of course you're going to be just blown away by how fucking rad that was like you're gonna you're gonna want to sink as many quarters into that game as possible to make sure that you get to burn that guy i can't think of a game that had more like lore like we talked about this i think last podcast like um like in pokemon when you the, everybody the kids would talk about like moving the truck to find mew underneath like i can't think of a game that has more urban legends about it than mortal kombat like I remember th- I remember hearing as a kid that one of the characters, like one of the girl characters, her fatality was that she would like pull her shirt up and the guy would pass out or something like, you know, <laughs> there, there's so much stuff that would get passed around and you'd be like, oh, my God, can you, be-? you know, Liu Kang can turn into a dragon at one point. You're like, oh, shit. Liu Kang can turn into a dragon at one point. Yeah. <laughs> it's it makes it, it's definitely cool. Um, I know as a as a as a. Uh, as a boring adult, um, as a as a thirty one year old man um, who is who is quickly approaching my death, uh, I have very <laughs> <laughs> I have very much appreciated how the combos in Mortal Kombat have not changed since the original game. Yeah, um, it is so you, reassuring. You were proficient with one character uh, back in nineteen ninety two. You could play that same character today and still be proficient with that character because you didn't have to learn anything new That's to right. know um, exactly uh, how to play well with that character. It fits um, like an old glove that no matter what console, no matter what time period, down, forward, low punch is Sub-Zero's freeze move. I mean, that's all you need to know. <laughs> uh, I, I always liked, um, I, I hope I'm getting this right, I think it was Back, Back, X is Scorpion's get over here. Yeah, uh, right. That scorpion was scorpion was more character. Actually, I liked Kung Lao. Kung Lao was always my character. Um, I just liked the 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 razor blade hat that you could throw. Uh. Kung, Kung Lao uh, ostensibly seems like one of the most boring stylized characters, but his fatalities were always insanely violent. <laughs> uh, another. Uh, substantial uh presence within the mortal Kombat formula that we would um be idiots not to bring up is the theme song um techno syndrome by the immortals Uh, (laughs) the first thing you think of as soon as anybody brings up mortal Kombat, and a song that to this day gets me so pumped that i start like moving around when i hear it (laughs) i get so excited um when we were watching uh 
Mortal Kombat, the, the 1995 movie, every time that song would start playing, I was, like, bouncing up and down on the couch. <laughs> like, yeah, I was it's just, like, it's I was dope like, yeah! no matter what. Oh, you get pumped. Yeah. It's such a good song. Um, the, the Techno Syndrome was created by uh, Belgian musicians Oliver Adams and Maurice uh, Elegan, who were at the time known uh, as an electronic group called Lords of Acid, though now Techno Syndrome is credited to uh, The Immortals. Um, they were tasked to create an album to promote the home console release of the uh, arcade version of Mortal Kombat, and they created an entire album of songs for each character, including the Mortal Kombat theme, which I feel like would be blasted in every arcade um, through, <laughs> throughout the rest of history. Yeah, I was going to uh, say, it, it still should so be, good. honestly. Uh, just the, the test your might repeated over and over right. again, and right. it lists all the character names. Um, I, I don't know if we could play any of the song here without getting sued, but the, <laughs> the um, copyright claimed the the theme to the theme to Mortal Kombat was a was an incredible uh, allure to drawing you even more so into wanting to play the game. Next, what I guess what we'll bring up next is uh, what you hinted at before the uh, the controversy that has surrounded Mortal Kombat since its release. Oh right? yeah, a hundred percent. The uh, moms everywhere the, are aghast. Right. So, so with that uh, console release that the Immortals created that wicked album for, um, uh, Midway Games uh, had decided to hype up the console release of Mortal Kombat with a um, giant marketing push they called Mortal Monday, where uh, Mortal Kombat would re- be released for um, the Genesis, Super Nintendo, Game Boy, and Game Gear all on the same day. Um with uh, the Sega Genesis version being the the least censored version, I'll, I'll say you could right. put in a, a code that um, usually there was like a, a toll number you had to call to ask for the code that you could put in so that you could allow blood to be in the game. Oh my god! Um, yeah. So, uh, but it was it was this uh, this marketing push that really caused um, the mainstream panic around violence in video games because Mortal Kombat had just been thrust into the mainstream. Um, in a way that no really violent video game had before, uh, and now people like the all the all the most violent games at the time, like arca- all all arcade games at the time, had kind of been moving to a more adult audience because it's it's not five year olds who have uh, a bank account full of quarters that they can <laughs> put into this machine. It's at most sixteen year olds who have jobs. Uh, they're the ones who are going to be able to like just put all their disposable income into this uh this dumb fighting game so games had kind of start slowly become more mature at arcades but the uh the adult generation who grew up playing um mario or or i should say donkey kong or um dig dug really had not experienced the development of video games that uh the generation below them did where video games moved from the arcade to the console right to the to right to to the home television and i Um, feel like i feel like the um neon innocence of the 80s in media in in comic books in cartoons in uh in video games was replaced by like the gritty adult shit of the 90s the duke nukems right like the who's the the comic book artist where everything is like big boob ladies and 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 pockets on pockets (laughs) you know you know what i'm talking about with the giant chests Uh, captain america uh, layfield uh rob layfield Rob Liefeld, yes. Everything is like Rob Liefeldized in the '90s, right? Everything is more violent, more pa- more pouches everywhere. 
Just, bigger guns. Yeah, guns, <laughs> big boob ladies, blood. Everything is everything in the nineties is gambit. Right? It's all cool <laughs> adult shit. Everything got a little bit more metal, for yeah. sure. Um than than it was in the eighties. Uh uh but so moral moral <laughs> I'm so I'm so lost now. Um uh, Mortal Mondays happens <laughs> uh and Mortal Kombat is thrust into um the mainstream. Um and kids for the first time are bringing this this very violent game home and playing it in front of their parents and their parents are freaking out. They cannot believe that there's a game where their kid can rip out somebody's spine <laughs> or, or just cause blood by punching them. To um, be they fair, just... they only really had two options. They could either buy their child bone storm or go to hell. Right. That is, those are, it's, it's one or the other. There's no in between. <laughs> um, but the, uh, the, the marketing push was so um, extreme that Sega actually jumped on board, and they started. Um, I don't remember. I don't know if you remember the uh, the Sega marketing campaign. Uh, Sega does what Nintendo don't, Ooh, because Nintendo yeah. had um, had censored out all the blood from all their games. They would not allow it to happen. But Sega was like, "Yeah, you put in the code. You can have as much blood in your game as you want. I don't care." <laughs> so, so, you have consented so, to this, Sega says to you, their lawyers. Right. So the, if you were a kid during the 90s and you wanted a, the more adults, the more teenager version of video games, you would go for the Sega, not the Nintendo. Nintendo's lame. Uh, Nintendo's just which, kid stuff. Sega has Gambit. Which led to uh, Nintendo actually backing up the uh, Senate hearings with, uh, led by Senator Joe Lieberman, um, which uh, denounced uh, video games as desensitizing young players to violent... Um, to, to violent real world uh, uh, happenings, and he uh, pinned the uh, Long Island train massacre uh, on the violence that was uh, <laughs> in video games at the time. Much like how John McCain is the noted enemy of early UFC, Joe Lieberman was every teenage kid's nemesis in the '90s, the enemy of violent video games. Right, uh, Joe Lieberman uh, famously said during a hearing on violent video games. Um, He's quoted, we're talking about video games that glorify violence and teach children to enjoy inflicting the most gruesome forms of cruelty imaginable. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> which is just, yeah, sure, Joe Lieberman. <laughs> um, a month after making that statement, uh, Joe Lieberman and Senator Herb Cole convened a hearing on Mortal Kombat and other violent video games where they spoke of creating a government-operated regulatory body for, video game, for the video game industry. And... That's where we get the modern uh, ESRB, the Entertainment Software Ratings Board, um, which gives ratings of E for everyone through M for mature. Right. Uh, I think that there's even a higher one than M, right? There's AO, adults only. And that's like. Is, the, is there? Yeah, that's the equivalent of like a movie. Is that like rate, how there's like rated X movies, rated X, but you never exactly, see one anywhere because exactly. nobody will sell it? Yep. If yeah, you have so, an adults-only movie, it's not going to be sold in any stores, so yeah. why would you ever make one? Right, yeah. If it, in the 90s, if it couldn't be sold in Toys R Us, like, it's, your shit's not getting bought. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. Uh, even, even in modern day, like, where... I guess you could just buy it on, uh, from Steam or something now, but, like, where are you going to get uh, an adults-only game if you're just, like, a kid looking to buy a video game? Right. Um, maybe maybe I'm showing my age with, with that statement, but... Uh, that was so Mortal Kombat changed the game, uh, literally, and <laughs> changed how uh, video games were run. Um, and it became the, the controversy that uh, 
that had surrounded it in the way that um, the Barbara Streisand effect works every time had only made it more popular. Uh, people had heard about the game because of all the news, because of the, <laughs> the Senate or uh, congressional hearings, and they were like, oh, I got to try this Mortal Kombat game. I hear it's crazy. Wow. You can if rip out people's spines. So, That's crazy. If this game is so bad that they want to ban it, I got to fucking play this game. I got to play that game. So <laughs> so it becomes even more popular. Um, and uh, uh, just a legacy is born. And man, we are we lucky to have uh, lived during the, the... We were the right age to fully uh, um, benefit from everything that uh, Mortal Kombat had to offer. Ah, nostalgia. Uh, especially the uh, 1995 movie. <laughs> so, oh, man. Uh, <laughs> prefer, uh, producer Lawrence Kasnoff, after seeing the first two Mortal Kombat games, uh, he felt that Mortal Kombat was Star Wars meets Enter the Dragon when uh, learning all the lore behind the, the two stories of okay. the first two games. And he was convinced it would make an awesome movie or perhaps even like a television series. So... He uh, went to different studios to try and get them to buy onto this uh, Mortal Kombat game, but there was a lot of hesitancy within the movie um, studios that were that he was meeting with because video game movies up until that point were gigantic failures, yeah. um, especially the Super Mario Brothers movie Ooh, of 1993 oh, no. and Double Dragons of 1994. Uh. They were just like awful, horrendous disasters, and uh, most studios didn't want anything to do with it. Um but uh, New Line Cinemas would eventually um, greenlight uh, a movie, even though they, after greenlighting it, would say would come to uh, Lawrence Kasnoff and express just so much they hated the script, even though they told them to go make it. Uh, so <laughs> they they had no faith in this whatsoever. I why why greenlight a thing you hate? <laughs> what is going on? Money uh, for money. The more reasons. we learn about like how movies are made through making this series, it just seems like such a weird fucking process. Where like somebody's like, I don't believe in this project at all. This project will absolutely fail. The script is garbage, and there's nothing here. Here's ten million dollars. Go make the movie. <laughs> like what? <laughs> <laughs> like what happened? <laughs> like um, but. The movie is made with director Paul W.S. Anderson, who would later go on to make the Resident Evil films. Uh, and he cuts his teeth um, getting making an action movie for the very first time here. And it ends up being like uh, the fourth highest grossing video game adaptation ever released. Um, it was a huge smashing success. On a budget of $18 million, um, it made $23 million plus on its opening weekend. And at the end of its cumulative run... It made uh, $122 plus million. Holy so, shit. Wow. So this movie this movie was a huge success. Um, Dave, have you ever seen this movie before? And what did you think of Mortal Kombat 1995? Uh, I had seen it, um, but I think I, I didn't realize that I had seen like the end of Mortal Kombat Annihilation and I had seen like the beginning of this movie, but I never saw the beginning of Annihilation or the end of this movie. <laughs> So in my mind, I had just sort of like smushed them together as one movie. Uh, uh, I really, as a kid, when, when this movie or when Annihilation would be on like TNT at 10 p.m. on a Saturday, I would always try and watch them. Dave, to continue our, our famous uh, our famous bit from last segment. week or last time, our famous segment from our last episode, what, what is it that happens in this movie? What happens in this movie? So uh, there are... 
tournaments uh, between the different realms of the multiverse. I guess there's the Earth realm and then there's Outworld or whatever. And uh, they come together to... Uh, I can see Mike emoting because cars are going by. <laughs> Who's driving their ambulance down the street while I'm recording a podcast? <laughs> uh, and every generation, there's a, a tournament called Mortal Kombat where the strongest warriors from all the different realms are summoned to fight. Uh, and I guess the stakes are that if Earth loses one more tournament, uh, then Outworld is allowed to invade them. Uh, and Shang Tsung, a uh, mighty sorcerer, evil guy, uh, was the champion of one of the past tournaments. Uh, and so he wants to make sure that Earth loses so that, uh, you know, the Outworld or whatever, the, the Bad Realm, uh, is allowed uh, by the Elder Gods to invade Earth. Uh, but the good Thunder God, lesser demigod dude Raiden, uh, assembles his champions from Earth. We got Johnny Cage. We got Liu Kang, the Shaolin monk, a.k.a. Bruce Lee. Uh, we got Sonya Blade, who's a cop. We got her partner, Jax, who has metal arms. Uh, and then uh, they go to the he tournament. He does not have metal arms in this movie, does he? I, I'm pretty sure he does no, not in, have metal in, arms. Um, no, in Mortal Kombat 1, um, he's just he's not even really in the tournament. He's her partner, but they don't bring him in until Mortal Kombat Annihilation. He shows up for a scene. I think he has maybe one speaking line, and then he disappears for the Yeah, they introduce movie. the character. Um, then, uh, sort of in like the middle tier of like, are they heroes? Are they bad guys? Like anti-hero, um, uh, sort of level are these sort of ninjas for hire assassins, uh, from, a, a sect of ninjas called the Lin Kuei, uh, where we get Sub-Zero, the blue ninja, we get Scorpion, the yellow ninja. They are mortal enemies, but, uh, they sort of have you, been. All right. You know, I don't know if you just know too much about Mortal Kombat, but you were just throwing in the lore of Mortal Kombat here. This is not what happens in the film. It's well, it is. None of that scorpion in Sh- it. <laughs> Sh- happens in the Well, movie. Shang Tsung says, uh, he says, mortal enemies, but they're like under his control. So Shang Tsung has a way of sort of controlling people. Uh, and That's Shang all Tsung- he says about them. <laughs> they're just two like lackeys. We don't know anything else about them. Then uh, it turns out that Shang Tsung is a, um, it turns out that Shang Tsung is a, um, a shapeshifter. Uh, and, uh, one of the bad guys historically is this dude Kano, uh, who has an Australian accent. He's like a mercenary, uh, and they get everybody together. Shang Tsung is—you uh, find out that he's kind of like uh, a second in command for this emperor person. We don't know who the emperor is yet. Uh, you find out in the second movie that it's it's Shao Kahn, I guess, right? Yeah. So Shang Tsung brings everybody together. He's trying to tilt the scales in the favor of the bad guys by kind of fighting people outside the rules of the tournament. So he's trying to have the Earth people get killed. A theme that would be carried over in all of these movies. Every it's movie, just, I guess yeah. Shang Tsung just quit or cheats. Yeah. Just... Oh, he cheats real bad. Most of the movies don't take place actually in the Mortal Kombat tournament. They take place no! like outside of the tournament. They take place in Shang Tsung just attacking people to try and kill them before they could get to the tournament. Right. Uh, and so the just like in the video game, the final boss of the tournament, the dude who is Shang Tsung's like ringer is this guy named Prince Goro, who's like a orc Lord of the Rings orc looking guy who has four arms. Uh, and once you get past him, then you can fight Shang Tsung at the top of the, the tier. And, and his thing in the video game is that he can turn into different he can, you know, transform into different characters. He transforms into Liu Kang famously in the movie uh, and into his brother. And Liu Kang has to overcome his fears. 
Princess Katana is another character that's in there. She's like Shao Kahn's sister or something like that. And it, the first half of this movie, I will say, I thought was horrifically bad. I was like, <laughs> I remember this movie fondly, but man, there's some stuff that happens. That's like, like the the actor who plays Raiden, his voice is like this weird Eastern European, like gravelly voice. Uh, he does a bad accent. I don't know what the heck that guy's doing. And some of the set work is literally like high school play tier set work. Like when they're on the the boat and there's like smoke coming off of the 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 what's supposed to be the water in the background. But it's overall such an enjoyable movie. Johnny Cage, the the actor who plays him, is so hilariously cheesy. Uh, I I really enjoyed Mortal Kombat one, the movie. Uh, I believe when you when you were watching the first movie, you texted me that this was the worst movie you've ever seen, and definitely the worst one that we've ever covered for this podcast. Which I gotta I gotta wonder, do you remember any of the movies we've covered for this podcast? Because we've watched such worse garbage than this. <laughs> to be fair, I texted you that in the first twenty minutes of this movie, which are really really bad, uh, and then it gets way better. I know that this movie is like so quintessential nineties. Uh, it's it's everything about it is like just distilled 90s action movie down to its purest form um but it's 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 definitely not the worst one we've ever watched for this podcast by god well <laughs> i'll reserve the right to say that for mortal kombat annihilation i think might be the worst movie we watched for this podcast but the first 20 minutes of mortal kombat 1 are horrible they're really 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 bad and then it, it gets way better. Like as soon as they get to the island, um, it's like the sets are better. Like the the dialogue is better. The fighting is better. The the plot makes more sense. They introduce all the characters. And I was surprised at how true to the video game Mortal Kombat 1 and Mortal Kombat Annihilation are. They really make sure that like in, in pro wrestling terms, everybody gets their shit in. You know, all the characters yeah. get to show yeah. their special moves. Uh, Liu Kang gets to do his bicycle kick. Scorpion gets to shoot his, his like rope dart thing. <laughs> How dare you not know what that weapon is called? <laughs> I know, but I won't tell you. Because, I was going to say, could you tell me what it is? I, I won't. I know, but I won't. I refuse because I, I'm offended <laughs> that you don't. <laughs> so everybody gets their shit in and it's fun. It's a fun movie. Uh, the movie was originally uh, scheduled for release on May 1995, but was pushed back to August after test screening audiences loved the movie, but they said there wasn't enough fighting in it to be a Mortal Kombat film. <laughs> so it actually went through extensive reshoots uh, the year of 1995 to add more fighting. Uh, they extended the Johnny Cage and Scorpion fight, and they added a fight between Liu Kang and Reptile oh, uh, in badass, this human yeah. form, which apparently was never in the movie. Uh, Reptile as a character was entirely added to the film during those reshoots, uh, including this, this, the terrible CGI version of the character. Yeah. Um, apparently when they were filming it, uh, Paul Anderson had no idea what the reptile like lizard form would look like. They're just like somebody else is gonna have to handle that. Like we we don't do that. <laughs> um, There's a little bit in this movie and in in Annihilation that are kind of like the Godzilla movies, where the human characters are just emoting at nothing. You know, <laughs> right? Right? There's clearly nothing there. This is this is the the most uh, prevalent version or example of uh, of that in this film. Uh, the the reptile lizard version is so offensively bad. I can't believe they even allowed that to get on on screen. It looks like they're interacting with Gex the Gecko from the N sixty four game Gex. Oh man, blast uh, from the past, <laughs> Gex! I know that's the first thing I thought of when I saw it. I was like, oh fuck, this looks terrible. They're emoting to like this fucking uh, N sixty four character. Um, Talk about a nineties reference. 
I, I I can't believe they didn't just do just just film the guy in the in the green ninja costume. Like, why was he just reptile the whole time? It looks so much better and more clear. And then you know, especially all right, you have him in the nineties in the the human reptile costume, and then just have him have his mask get knocked off or something once, and have him have like a partial lizard face. Right. That would be that would be a million totally times better. Enough. Totally than, enough. Right. Than this this horrible looking fucking monstrosity. Uh. But they added a bunch of fight scenes to make it um, more uh, action-based. Uh, uh, Robin Shao, who played Liu Kang, was a former Hong Kong stuntman. And he kind of took over uh, developing all of the fight scenes for the film. And he was great, he, I he thought. Really, uh, he had free reign to come up with whatever he wanted uh, to incorporate into the fight, fight scenes. Um, and he kind of became the, the uh, main fight choreographer, even over um, Pat E. Johnson, who was the actual... Uh, fight choreographer because Robin Chow was on set every day. So he would be there to really uh, pump up the action scenes when they needed it. I thought Liu Kang was great. I thought he looked like Liu Kang from the games. I thought he was a great, seemed like he was a great proficient martial artist. Um, Part of these movies is that sometimes the action seems a little choppy, a little slow. Like I read a, I read a, uh, a fact that they said that the actors had to slow down that some of the fighting was too fast for the cameras. Um, and so a lot of times I thought that the fighting came across a little bit wooden, a little bit stiff. Um, but I thought the guy who played Liu Kang was especially great. This movie came out during an interesting time in film where we still... It, the, the fight scenes in this are uh, expertly choreographed, I will say, but we're still figuring out how to put fights on film, right? We're still in the pre-raid or pre-the-raid uh, days of Hollywood. We don't really know how to film a really interesting fight the way that it would be filmed today. Right. Um, Paul W.S. Wen Anderson uh, had zero experience filming fight scenes when he uh, took over the directorial uh, job of this movie. And um, he shot the first fight sequence in wide, continuous shots of the actors just doing the whole fight. Yeah. Um, which made the actors completely exhausted totally tired them out and robin Shaw had to pull uh paul anderson aside and be like yo we we don't film fight scenes like this you, you, you don't <laughs> this this is this is crazy uh you, you use wide shots for like a few seconds of the fight but then you get up close you do a bunch of short close-ups that's how you like make the fight look normal <laughs> and he's like oh and then everything became much easier to film once they, once they once figured they that, made out. that change yeah yeah so um so there was, there was a lot of learning going on uh, throughout this movie for everybody involved. It was uh, funny that you mentioned um, Bloodsport earlier with Jean-Claude Van Damme because I thought that this movie seemed a lot like Bloodsport, the movie. Uh, the bad guy in Bloodsport, when he would say, like, like you are next, like, that reminded me of the Shang Tsung actor, like, when he said, like, your soul is mine, you know? Well, it's funny that you would bring up Jean-Claude Van Damme because he was actually supposed to play Johnny Cage in this movie, <laughs> uh, but he had to drop out uh, <laughs> um, to do a different film. So, uh, once again, Johnny Cage uh, turned down um, a, uh, a Mortal Kombat property, um, uh, in this case, so that he could be in the Street Fighter movie in 1994. This guy, so he chose Street Fighter over this. Man, he keeps uh, making the which, wrong decisions. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's that's that's a hard one. That's a tough one to have to live with. Um, another uh, actor who turned this movie down is Sean Connery, who was the first choice to play Raiden. 
Uh, Connery had no interest in doing the role because it would be way too physical and he just wanted to play golf. <laughs> so they got um, Christopher Lambert, who was uh, like the um, he was his fellow cast member from Highlander and Highlander 2. Um, and he would, had the most uh, experience in big budget action movies of anybody else in the film. And a lot of the um, actors and uh, Paul Anderson himself would credit Christopher Lambert um, for making this a really smooth uh, and easy project for everybody to work on. Um, he had apparently like a super laid back attitude the whole time and was just like a big positive influence on everybody. He comes across that way on camera. Yeah. Uh, he... Uh, he was the most expensive actor to have on set, so they only paid for him to be there for a few weeks um, it, uh, for the in the L.A. studio. But he didn't feel like the movie would work if he wasn't on set every day, so he flew himself to Thailand and uh, kept and like paid for his own stay in Thailand for no extra charge from the studio, so that he could be on set every single day for the filming of the of the movie. Damn! Shout out to uh, that and then guy. He threw everybody a party afterwards when they when they wrapped up. He he hosted the after wrap party. Man, so what an MVP! Holy crap! We should <laughs> we should talk about that guy more. We should just have a podcast just about him. He seems so nice. La- the, welcome to the Christopher Lambert podcast. Every Everything Christopher Lambert all the time. <laughs> Today we are going to be talking about Mortal Kombat, and then next week we will talk about Highlander. <laughs> Welcome to Nothing New Under the Lambert. <laughs> so, so he was a big he was a big uh, part of why this was successful. Um, another reason, another thing that's credited about being great in this movie, uh, actor wise, is the actor who plays Kano. Kano seems like a great role, especially like in the new movie in 2021. Oh my gosh, Kano seemed like such a fun role to play. Yeah, he was played by Trevor Goddard, um, who decided to put on a uh, Australian accent for the role, even though the character had been traditionally Japanese American. Uh, he got Goddard put on this uh, Australian accent, and he said that he told everybody during the hiring process that he uh, was of Australian descent, and he would go on doing an Australian accent for the rest of his career. Dave, where is uh, Goddard from? Scotland. Trevor Goddard is a British uh, born man. That was pretty close. Uh, who, who's putting on a fake, who put on a fake Australian accent for his entire career. To play career. a Japanese character. Um, but to play a Japanese character. Um, Ed Boon and John Tobias were so impressed by uh, how Trevor Goddard portrayed the character that uh, Kano in all future games would be Australian and would have an Australian accent. They, um, the good for them. Of- they're, they're good at like adapting Mortal Kombat like over the years. You know, they, they are, they're, it's almost like Mortal Kombat is like an open source game that a lot of people get to contribute shit to because they're really good at like morphing the future games to represent stuff that people are interested in in the previous games. Right. Um, do you want to talk about Goro? Got four arms. <laughs> how, did you, how did you feel about Goro in this film? He was like, you know, weird CGI, corny 90s bad guy. You know, he was fine. I thought that they oh, they shot him. Oh, up. Dave, none of Goro was CGI. What? Goro was a animatronic that no. was um, operated by 13 to 16 people. Stop it. I don't know how you couldn't notice this. It was so clear while they were in the movie. It looks nothing like a CGI character. I'm Googling uh, this right Goro now. Goro was a giant animatronic that had to be operated by 13 to 16 people, and it frequently broke down, causing significant delays in production. Uh, it, Stop um, it. They, no, they he's not. They refused to bring it to Thailand out of fear that it would cause even more trouble with it breaking down all the way there. So all the scenes involving Goro had to be uh, filmed on a soundstage um, in uh, Los Angeles. Uh, they, um, 
were a lot of his scenes were supposed to be um in areas that had like ponds and water and stuff but they removed all of them because they were worried that the goro puppet might fall into them in short circuit (laughs) (laughs) it looked like they were shooting it from like the waist up a lot this thing is an animatronic i'm looking i have to i i gotta wonder if the like if the feet were real but like it's just like the upper body that was that was a puppet i don't know um but yes the the goro was a giant animatronic um if you if you can remember back to the film, he has the one triumphant pose that he does where he like he flexes his muscles yeah, and looks yeah, up and is yeah. like, yeah. He does that over and over and over again. And I'm sure that's because like that was the one thing they programmed into the animatronic that worked. <laughs> and they were like, all right, we just use that. Just as, just have him do that every time. Like something good goes uh, goes for him. Uh, I I I mean, look, the Goro puppet is what it is. Uh, it's 1995. We 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 can plainly see what the CGI capabilities are of the time <laughs> in Reptile. Not great. So I, I'm glad they didn't go that way. Um, but man, is it is it weird? Is it weird looking when it's like a scene? It's just Kano and Goro, and they're having a dialogue scene. <laughs> Goro's mouth is moving in a way that is almost like you'd expect a mouth to move to <laughs> deliver those lines. But it's just not right. You can't really tell what's off about it. But you know that that's not the shape the mouth should be to say that word. Um, it, uh, I don't know. I don't know what they could have done better. Uh, I guess like like credits to them for for making it work. Uh, but, but man, um, that that's that was a uh, it was ugly. That was a quintessential '90s thing of of this film. Um, you talked about Shang Tsung. Uh, Kerry Hiroyuki Tagawa uh, was the actor who played Shang Tsung, and he was the uh, the filmmaker's first and only choice for the role. Just so and everyone knows, was, that was Mike's like seventh attempt at that. It was my first try. I got it the first try. <laughs> <laughs> he, he was the only choice for the role, and um, he was super into it. He showed up into to the audition in full costume, um, and he read his lines while standing on a chair, just hamming it up and, and like uh, just just going as nuts as he possibly could. That guy just dressed um, like that every day. He he didn't show up in costume. That was just his regular clothes. He was all about this role. He makes this film. There's uh, the the amount of over the top uh, uh, chewing the scenery that he does in each role line that he delivers um, really uh, makes this movie. Um, just that much more watchable. Um, and I love that he's brought back in the future video games to play the character. Um, he should have been brought back for the new movie, in my opinion, but we'll get to it. Right. <laughs> he's, he is a, uh, he's a great part of this movie. Um, let's do our famous reoccurring segment on injuries, which occurred on set. Uh, <laughs> so while we're talking about actors who should, who, uh, were considered to be, uh, cast in this movie. Um, Bridget Wilson Sampras uh, ended up playing Sonya Blade in the movie, but she originally had to drop out because she chose to do Billy Madison instead. Um, Christina Applegate was shortly considered for the role, but Cameron Diaz actually ended up getting cast because uh, she did such a good job in The Mask in 1994, okay. which is also a New Line Cinema movie. So they wanted to just use their new hot actress that they uh, had in this hit film and just put her in their next movie they were hoping to be another big hit film. Um, while training for the action scenes, Cameron Diaz broke her wrist and just before filming had to drop out that, um, I'm not, I couldn't find, uh, if it was before or after Cameron Diaz, but there was another actress who, uh, was hired to play Sonya, Sonya Blade, um, uh, Miss Teen, uh, Miss Teen USA 
model um, was hired for the role. Um, she had said in an interview with Variety uh, on July 29th, 1994, that she would be uh, playing Sonya Blade in the new movie, but she also injured herself while training for the action seeds, and Bridget Wilson Sampras had to be brought back for the film. Oh, my God. Because everybody else had just eliminated themselves through injury. <laughs> so she came back to uh, to play Sonya Blade in the, uh, in the movie. The Lyndon Ashby, who played Johnny Cage, uh, had a bruised kidney during his fight scene with Scorpion, where he had a padding on his side to uh, prevent the kicks from like landing fully. But Scorpion uh, Chris Casamasa uh, landed his kick right between the two pads on uh, Ashby's back <laughs> and just bruised his kidney to the point where uh, Ashby was peeing blood for like a month. He did that shit on purpose. <laughs> So, um, and then Robin Shaw, who we've talked about as uh, being uh, the hero of all the fight choreography in this film, uh, he apparently would rate the fights that he filmed in this uh, movie from one to three, depending on how much bruising and uh, broken ribs he had from uh, coming out of the filming. Um, and he had three broken ribs from the fight where he faced Reptile. Um, and he had to ask the Reptile asked, uh, actor Keith Cook to... Um, try not to hit him on his right side anymore because because <laughs> it was just too painful uh let's do some final thoughts what did you what were your what are your final thoughts on on this movie uh i really thought that it was terrible in the beginning the first 20 minutes i was like oh no this is going to be a bad watch and then it got i wouldn't say great but it definitely was like a passable good 90s action movie uh it's cool to see all the characters on screen it's cool to see them doing the stuff that they do in the video game uh and you know, it wraps up fine. Uh, and they set up a sequel at the end. Uh, they don't bring back any of the characters. I mean, they bring back who? Liu Kang. That's it, right? But <laughs> We'll get into that. Uh, I thought I thought this movie was... Um, I was ready to watch something awful when we stepped into this. This was definitely something I knew going into it that I had rose-tinted goggles of uh, my nostalgia from being a kid uh, affecting how I remember this movie. Um, but I was actually presently surprised. Uh, the special effects were embarrassingly bad yeah, throughout. Horrific. Um, but the practical sets were amazing. Um, and even some of the CGI uh, blue screen effects, though there's 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 one really awful blue screen effect where Sonya is tied up um, in uh, Shang Tsung's like yeah, yep. a, a pit of doom. Uh, that was it was it was it was um, just just the worst. But uh, most of the the blue screen effects are really impressive. Uh, especially when they're um, overlaid with the practical set that the actors are on. Um, there's a lot of awesome video game references. Um, most, a lot of the character fatalities are in the game, even though it is toned down. This is mostly like, this is for a Mortal Kombat movie. This is entirely bloodless, which is, uh, is just a sign of the times, you know, yep, they were not going to allow a big blockbuster movie to be uh, a really uh, violent game. Though uh, I do have written in my notes that uh, Scorpion's death is fucking metal. And they and they're blasting <laughs> that metal music the whole time. in the fire. Yeah, they had a couple um, interesting uh, uh, Mortal Kombat logos in the game or um, references in the game. Uh, there was one tie-in to Mortal Kombat Three where during the fight with uh, Reptile, there's um, six symbols that appear on the wall. Um, it's a question mark, a girl symbol, and the Mortal Kombat logo re- like repeating itself. Yeah, and if you put that code into the Mortal Kombat Three game. Uh, you would switch characters at random during your fights. Oh, okay. So they actually like put a, co- a code for the new game into the uh, into the movie, which I thought was really cool. 
Also, we didn't we didn't bring this up, but they continually say flawless victory when none of them are flawless no. victories. Yeah, I know. They I was thinking the same thing. I'm like, man, they didn't really get what that meant in the video game, huh? It's like that meme where it's like you keep saying that thing, but I don't think you know what it. Or I don't think it means what you think it means. Yep. Uh, yep. From Princess Bride, mm-hmm. um, I I totally flubbed that line, but whatever. <laughs> it's it's crazy um, that they just they keep using that over and over just because it's a thing from the game. Um, another line I have written in my notes here uh, is. Um, Raiden asks, what are the rules to Mortal Kombat? And Liu Kang recites one rule to Raiden, and Raiden just responds, I have nothing left to teach you. <laughs> I was like, what about, like, f- like beyond the rules? Like, <laughs> what about, like, fighting or anything? Like, anything else that would help him in this situation? Demigod of Thunder? Right. Like, could you teach Liu Kang, normal mi- mortal man, anything else that would help him here? <laughs> um... It was, uh, that was, I loved that line. That was, that was hysterical to me. Um, but this movie, this movie was about as good as it could be for a, for a nineties action movie. I thought it was all right. Surprisingly uh, good. I thought. Right after the box office success for the movie, uh, Paul W.S. Anderson was asked by New Line Cinemas to helm a sequel, but he wanted to do something completely different. Um, and he moved on to make Her- Event Horizon in 1997 instead, um, which he would, uh, always cite as a huge, uh, mistake in his career he much regrets not moving on to make mortal Kombat annihilation because of what it became right and that's one of the main reason that once he made resident evil in 2002 uh he stayed with the franchise as ex- at least an executive producer all the way through all of those uh resident evil movies because he wanted to not give up the um the the control of a franchise that he had uh, shepherded to somebody who would just m- not care and create some trash. Uh, Mortal Kombat Annihilation is uh, horrific. Directed by John R. <laughs> John. <laughs> yes. Uh, Mortal Kombat Annihilation is directed by John R. Leonetti uh, from The Scorpion King, The Conjuring, and Annabelle. Uh, it was made on a budget of $30 million, so we are more than doubling the budget now. Oh, um, no. We went from $18 million to $30 million, and it also is a huge success. It had an opening weekend budget, or opening weekend box office of $16 plus million, and a cumulative worldwide gross at the end of its run of $51 million. Most of the actors for this movie uh, dropped out after reading the script. Uh, Lyndon Ashby uh, was asked to return as Johnny Cage and had immense interest in returning until he read the script. Um, same can be said for uh, Christopher Lambert, who we had uh, heralded as such an awesome guy before. Uh, he read the script and decided he didn't want to continue on. Good for them. Uh, Good for them. The reason that they're, all of the characters had to be recast in this movie is because the actors read the script and were just like, no way. Right. <laughs> I'm not, not going to give up to this. This this looks like a disaster. I mean, um, they were right. They they were right. What's even worse is that the final version of this film which ended up in theaters and what we watched is not a finished movie. Uh the 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 movie that ended up in theaters was just a um uh like a test run of the visual visual effects. Oh shit, um, really? Which New Line Cinemas decided to show to test audiences and it did and the test audiences liked it so much 
that New Line was like, well, fuck it. Why would we put more <laughs> money then. into... Done then. <laughs> yeah, why would we put more money into finishing these effects? Just put it in the theaters. Who cares? Uh, producer Lawrence Kazanoff said, uh, honestly, the final movie is that's out there is not the final movie. There was supposed to be an entire second pass of visual effects, post-production, and editing. But New Line said, you know what? It's testing so well, it doesn't fucking matter. It's still going to be a hit. And by the way, it was. So <laughs> that's that was... That was the attitude uh, of this entire film behind the scenes. Hashtag release the Kaznoff cut. Right. Nobody cared. Uh, they knew that this was going to make money no matter what. I, I, again, I don't understand. <laughs> if you're a big studio executive, how you don't just give... If there's supposed to be one more pass at the visual effects and editing, and it's testing really well right now, imagine how well it'll test once you do that last pass through the visual effects and editing. Why would you put out an unfinished product? Uh, I don't know. I, I don't. This movie costs thirty million dollars. Like, come <laughs> on! Like, like what, are, what are we doing? Oh my god! Uh, so, for everybody listening, Mortal Kombat Annihilation is with a bullet the worst rated movie on Rotten Tomatoes that we've done so far. I think it has a two percent on Rotten Tomatoes. It is uh, the all time. The original bad. Mortal Kombat has a 44 critics rating and a 57 audience rating on Mortal Kombat. Um, it is rotten uh, by both metrics, right? Yep. The Mortal Kombat Annihilation has a 25 percent audience score, still rotten, but has a critic score of two. So, so it is. <laughs> this is our is, first single not, digit critic score. It is not liked. I don't know if that's true. I, we would have to go back through. Uh, I think you had a you had a ranking of all the Rotten Tomatoes scores for our films uh, for a while. It, it's it, it's only updated uh, as of like five episodes ago, but the worst one besides this was uh, the Turning and um, Tom Cruise's The Mummy tied at like thirteen percent. All right, so this so this is the worst. <laughs> it's the worst by like ten percent, which is wild. We've already done this movie is so epically bad. I was talking to my friend Dan about it. He said Mortal Kombat Annihilation is. They should have just made it a porno tier bad. <laughs> the acting is terrible. The special effects are terrible. Uh, the, the set locations don't look at anything real at all. I don't know how we somehow got... I mean, I do know because they released an unfinished film. But like the, 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 it, there's no excuse for releasing CGI this bad at the end of the 90s. It is hideous. It's, it's so awful. Um, Especially at the end when... Uh, Shiva Lucan... has... it. Shiva is an actual actress instead of a giant animatronic, and her forearms somehow look worse than, <laughs> than the animatronic arms. Like the, it was, it's like that like weird old like uh, computer animation thing where like the arms are coming out of her shirt, and you can tell like the shirt is like the actress was just wearing a shirt, and they just like imposed the arms on it. Yeah, where yeah. like if it moves weird, like you can tell the shirt's still there. It was oh my god. It was so bad. Um, Shiva, I'll bring it up now, uh, was meant to play a larger role in the film, um, even to the point of early scripts having a two-on-one fight with her versus Liu Kang and Raiden together. Um, but budget limitations meant that they had to cut all that kind of stuff out because it was way too expensive. Um, which, like, where did where did the budget go that you had budget limitations? Uh, they felt that it would need too much um, prosthetics and CGI to portray that, so they cut the char- all the CGI characters down substantially. Um this this movie, uh, I feel like the characters all get less of their backstory in there, I guess, is the way I'd put it. Like, you have Ermac and Rain, and then um, Rain is just is a purple guy who's just killed immediately. We don't get to see him do any water-based stuff. He's thrown into the fire, like, stuff. 
like Austin Power style. Right. Uh, and then Ermac is there, and Ermac does, I think he has a shadow guy show up at one point, but like, that's it. And it's even that is laughably bad. Like, that's, that's clearly pre special effects. It's just a guy in, like, um, we talked about how they did the, the, in our very first episode, we talked about how they did the original 1930s of Invisible Man effects with the guy in black, um, silk or whatever that's what this looks like it's just a guy in like a black velvet bodysuit it looks so you could see his eyes sticking out like there's like there's like a cutout for his eyes oh my god it looks so bad um the uh the, yeah, the worst cgi was motaro the minotaur guy uh, oh my god it was horrible no that was not the worst cgi the worst cgi was um was uh what's what's uh the the emperor what's oh, shao Kahn. you said it before shao Kahn turning into his animality the hydra his yeah. head like he he makes like a big like um o with his mouth like he expected something in, like impressive to happen in with the cgi effects and his face just like folds Lengthens, up as if it was yeah. a 2d uh-huh. piece of paper uh-huh. like, what, what is happening i um i thought one of the all-time it might be the worst movie line of all time was delivered in this which is Nightwolf saying um he goes like pretty cool huh that's my animality and <laughs> as if that means anything I know, to it the means nothing to the movies. audience you know <laughs> when in the video games right the finishing moves they got the fatality and then they have a bunch of other ones they've got one that's called the brutality uh and later on they just get silly with them so they have animality where you turn into an animal they have a babality where you turn into a baby but the word animality friendships where you just like give someone candy or something or a hug yep. But the word animality in the context of the movie up till then has no meaning. Like the, the, right, ugh, I don't. Oh my god! It's it. It actually it gives me chills. The crin the cringiness. It was the laziest way they could include this. Well, I mean, in the games, it's just a fun thing, right? We have the fatalities in the first game. We talked about how they developed, and I'm sure, like as the games went on, they were just like, "Well, we need more things." So, like, what's a, what's another cool thing we could develop? And that's something I love about the. We didn't really talk about it, but the 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 story and the lore everything in mortal Kombat, none of it takes itself too seriously it's always really fun yeah and goofy. definitely like everything is always they, they lean towards being more fun and goofy than they do leaning towards like serious samurai whatever film right yep this is a dumb movie where um like ninja clans fight each other in a tournament for earth realm versus uh, a, a a cartoonish version of hell, <laughs> and they never they never forget that. Um, with especially with 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 how the finishing moves uh, develop over the years. Um, but in this context, they treat animality as if it's supposed to be like a a, a thing, like that that people know of. Like, right. like that line is delivered as if like you layman in in the movie theater (laughs) uh, will absolutely like know what this means it's just crazy uh there's everyone behind the creation of this film was clearly just like really lazy yeah like like, nobody put in any effort the way they did the first time it it definitely shows through i i would say that one of the things i was thinking while watching mortal Kombat annihilation is that uh even if it was a well-made movie which it is very much not uh, a big problem with it is that they lose all of the lighthearted funness of the first movie. There's no Johnny Cage. And this movie is so serious. Uh, and it's horrible because of it. Uh, it is uh, notably Ray Park's first film, though, as he was the uh, Raiden uh, uh, stunt double, as well as like 
uh, he played a couple other of like the like faceless ninja characters oh, okay. who were in the film. Um, so Ray Park, uh, of course, is like the famous uh, martial artist guy um, who would go on to play Darth, Darth Maul, Maul in the Star Wars yep. movies um, and a couple other really popular characters in uh, in different films. So this was this was his uh, his film debut. So we got something positive out of it. Can only go Otherwise, up from there. I'd say that this was this was absolute trash. Uh, I, I wouldn't recommend watching this film. <laughs> I, I would avoid it like the plague. That, those are my final thoughts. <laughs> I think this is the worst rated movie I've ever seen and maybe the worst movie I've ever seen in my life. I have such fond memories of being a nine-year-old kid watching this movie and being like, there's a Mortal Kombat movie? He turns into a dragon? Whoa! <laughs> and this this totally ruined my uh, my memories I feel like such a fucking moron. I'd go back and slap myself. You dumb kid. You dumb uh, little kid. You fucking dumb kid. You you little kid who likes dumb stuff. When I was a little kid, I only liked the Shawshank Redemption. <laughs> did you know that, um, fun fact, did you know that Jean-Claude Van Damme was supposed to play Andy Dufresne and he was busy? <laughs> Jean-Claude Van Damme. <laughs> Always makes the wrong choices. Everybody follow us on Instagram at nuts.show, N-N-U-T-S.show. That is coincidentally uh, our website URL, www.nuts.show. You can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash nothing new under the sun. Or the more succinct, the more aerodynamic, the more nimble, nuts.money. You could tell your friends and family that you watch this crazy show. Uh, If you would leave us a review on your podcast app or, you know, hit subscribe on your podcast app that's pretty sweet because those numbers get tracked uh and if you want to follow the links you don't have to memorize what i'm saying they're always in the episode description they're always in the show notes all right before we move on to the most recent mortal kombat movie i'd like to just briefly touch upon uh, mortal kombat legacy and mortal kombat rebirth i don't know if you remember this no um from 2010 uh from 11 oh, years ago yeah oh my god on youtube i was a it, it debuted on youtube it was a YouTube short film created by Kevin Tancherian. That one was only three takes. <laughs> With like choreography from Larnell Stovall. What a, come on, guys. <laughs> Get normal names. <laughs> With fight choreography from Larnell Stovall. Fight choreography um, by John Smith, featured, Justin Jones. <laughs> please. Uh, and it had a bunch of big name actors in it, like Michael J. White uh, as Jax and Jerry Ryan as uh, Sonia, who were both friends with uh, Kevin Tancherian. Uh It was created uh, as a um, pitch to Warner Brothers, who had recently bought um, a lot of the rights to um, to old Midway games uh, as a proof of concept for what he could do with the franchise in a movie or television format. Um, and he was just kind of like he was he was shooting his shot here, you know. Like he was just he was just like I made this thing. Here it is, Warner Brothers. How do you what do you think? It came out and awesome. He got like seven point five million hits on it on YouTube or something. Um, if you go back and watch it, it's okay. It's pretty rough. Oh no, don't uh, ruin it, was, it for it's me. It's very. It's another thing that's very of his time. It came out two years after the release of Dark of the Dark Knight, and everybody in uh, in uh, sophisticated society believed that the way to do these nerdy comic book and uh and uh children's uh franchises in a sophisticated way was to make them dark and edgy and realistic so it makes a bunch of changes to the mortal Kombat lore to bring it into the real world oh, okay like yeah. um 
Reptile is no longer a, a weird reptile monster from the netherworld. He's a guy with like a weird skin condition who like also eats human flesh or something. Got it. He's like a cannibal. He's a he's a deformed cannibal man. Right. Uh, Baraka is a um, a plastic surgeon who goes crazy and starts like mm. um, his his face is like you know how like people will do like the facial inserts like it looks like a bubble yep. under their skin yeah. to like raise yeah, their subdermal implants. And, yeah, he's got a bunch of subdermal implants. He's got a bunch of like uh, metal like facial piercings and he's and the knives in his arms are, are some kind of uh uh surgical implant like scalpel or something. which like still they still come in and out i so, like like where are they going like <laughs> if you're gonna make this into the bring this into the real world like what, what is going on uh these giant swords are coming out of this guy's arm like at that point just like just just ham it up um but it was that was that's what it was aiming at um and it got a, a online run um and this is pre-streaming services uh, this is before Netflix was what it was. This is before Hulu existed. This is before um, the modern streaming uh, uh, platform world existed, right? Yeah. This was the biggest online series for the time. Um, it had two se- uh, seasons, the second of which was um, promoted by Machinima and uh, really uh, elevated that uh, that company before I'm pretty sure they went and I'm pretty sure they don't exist anymore. I think they went under, uh, but they, it, it was a big deal. Um, and if you go back, the Mortal Kombat rebirth is, is very, uh, interesting of a watch. Uh, I will not say that Mortal Kombat legacy is the same. It, 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 it tries less to, to ground, um, the Mortal Kombat lore in the reality. It tries, it tries to more faithfully tell the Mortal Kombat lore uh, to the best of its abilities for having basically zero budget. Right. <laughs> um, but uh, but it did somehow end up on HBO Max. So if you are a listener with an HBO Max subscription and you want to watch this weird thing from 10 years ago that uh, is pre uh, <laughs> the modern streaming era, this is a, a web-based series um, which during the time made it real special uh, which does not hold up <laughs> as well as, as, as other things, uh, as, as other things might. Um, did you did you watch the series at all outside of the original uh, Mortal Kombat rebirth? Yeah, I just remember the original like pilot viral video thing, which I re- choose to remember as super badass and awesome. And you won't convince me otherwise. <laughs> fair, fair enough. Uh, the fighting in it is really cool. It is really well choreographed. I'll say that. But I just think. Like at this point, like in a, in a post MCU world, I roll my eyes at all this like dumb attempts to be like, no, it's stupid to be like reptiles, a lizard from the yeah, other world. Right, That's dumb. Right. What's cool is he's got a skin condition and he eats human flesh because he's because he's dark. <laughs> like who cares? Like come on, <laughs> no, like it's it's not cooler. It's not cooler to do that. A dark gritty um, reboot. Right, just lead into it. It's Mortal Kombat, for God's sakes. Uh, which the new film, I will, I will give it total credit for. It does that. We're jumping ahead. It's, uh, it's eleven years later, uh, 2021. Mortal Kombat. Uh, no, let's let's go back a year. It's 2020. We 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 set our uh, time machine to 2020. Mortal Kombat is set to be released, uh, but a global pandemic uh, prevents any movies from being released because theaters are closed and no one will make any money. Uh, Mortal Kombat is pushed back to the following year and is, um, as we've mentioned many times before, I feel like at this point we're just the HBO Max podcast. Uh, it's it's released with all the other HBO Max films 
um, including uh, uh, Godzilla versus Kong and uh, the Snyder Cut. Snyder Cut, yeah. (laughs) And um, Tom and Jerry, which I'm sure we'll get to one day. Um, And all the the other slate of films that um, Warner Brothers were saving um, because they were supposed to come out during the pandemic or had slated for the year, actually for the year of 2021. Um, Mortal Kombat is one of the highest grossing films along with Godzilla vs. Kong to come out during the pandemic. It made a opening weekend uh, box office of $23 plus million. And um, so far, as of me writing my notes, it has made uh, $70 plus million worldwide. Uh, it is, by all accounts, a huge smashing success, especially for a film that came out during the apocalypse. Uh, it was directed by um, making his de- directorial film debut, uh, Simon McCaid, and it is produced by James Wan of all of the horror movies and the Fast and the Furious franchise, and he directed Aquaman, just big, big name directly um, in the Warner Brothers studio uh, realm. The movie was in development hell for forever uh, as a third in the original Mortal Kombat um, series uh, for the first two films. It was going to be called Mortal Kombat Devastation. Um, It was originally uh, supposed to be in production um, right after Mortal Kombat Annihilation was released. And they somehow uh, had all the original actors from the first movie uh, set to return. Uh, Christopher Lambert, Lyndon Ashby... um, Every uh, Robin Shaw, everyone we had mentioned before, oh, they were all going to return for this um, for this film, which was set to uh, the story was going to be that uh, Johnny Cage is resurrected to help um, the the other characters um, defend Earthrealm from uh, Quan Chi and uh, the resurrected Shang Tsung. Right, um, and uh, it was pushed off partially because of the terrible reception to um to uh uh, mortal kombat annihilation but also because of hurricane katrina uh destroying most of the physical sets (laughs) which would have to have been rebuilt and they just didn't want to put the money into rebuilding all the physical sets so um as i mentioned before uh in june 2009 um a bankruptcy court saw uh lawrence kasanoff suing midway and it ended in uh warner brothers um, purchasing most of Midway's assets, including Mortal Kombat. So Warner Brothers now has the rights to um, NetherRealm Studios, uh, who creates the Mortal Kombat uh, games, as well as the rights to create any Mortal Kombat media uh, moving forward. So they decide to move forward with uh, with a new Mortal Kombat film, believing that the, um, the franchise has a lot of potential as a uh, moneymaker based on how popular the series has been for forever, but also just how much lore there is and how popular comic book movie stuff is these days. Right. The, the, it's going to get all the nerds real excited. Um, even though I, I'd argue no one at Warner Brothers seems to have any interest <laughs> in Mortal Kombat or uh, the potential of, of what the story goes on. Um, this is the second episode in a row where I feel like we're, we're coming to the end here and Warner Brothers is again the villain of the story. Right. Um, the, the biggest thing, um, that I'll jump right into, uh, the biggest addition to this film is the character of Cole Young played by Lewis Tan. MMA um, fighter. Not, not a character from the video game, um, and was a studio mandate that he had to be included. Um, Warner Brothers, uh, told the, um, the writers of the film that this 
new character had to be included um, so that he could be a uh, an audience um, analog or something. Yeah, an audience stand-in that could have all of the lore described to him in exposition, right? Because there's no other character they could have chose for that role, especially not Johnny Cage, right. the character who seems best fitted for that. Yeah, the exact um, character who that happens to in the original movie. In, in every other version of Mortal Kombat, everything. Uh, yeah, they decide that that's not good enough. They have to include this new character, Cole Young. Uh, co-screenwriter Greg Russo of the Russo Brothers, who uh, made... Infinity War and Endgame and Winter Soldier and all the great Marvel stuff. Uh, he's he's one of the co-writers of this uh, of the script, and he said uh, Cole Young's character was something that the studio wanted. Uh, I'm paraphrasing there. Uh, he said to quote uh, the new protagonist was an idea loaded into the script script prior to my involvement. Um, I inherited the script in 2016, and it had the new protagonist in it, uh, but it had no tie to mythology of Mortal Kombat. And I thought if we're going to do it, I want to make sure we do it right and that this character fits into the mythology in an organic way. So what we get is Cole Tan. He's a descendant of Scorpion. The entire film basically sets up that he's going to become the new Scorpion until the point where he doesn't. And then <laughs> old Scorpion a, shows up to save the day. Right. Which was an interesting choice. Um, I, I'm sure I can like I can. I can see exactly where the meetings were like I can like. I can smell how the original version of the script just had Cole Young taking up the mantle of Scorpion right. and defeating Sub-Zero and, and honoring his family line. And somebody, whether it be Ed Boon and uh, Netherrealm or whether it be Greg Russo who was rewriting the script, but someone along the way was like, no, 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 we, we can't do that. We have, like, Scorpion is this other guy. It's this whole character. We have, we have all this lore. Yeah. Like, he's got he's got to be Scorpion. He's got to show up. All right, so, so instead, uh, he, he gets... He gets a, a, a punchy suit thing, <laughs> like or whatever happens uh, the, to Cole Young. That was the lamest, man. So I, I'm a big MMA fan. And so when they introduced the MMA character, I was like, OK, cool. Because in 2021, when people hear about a tournament of a bunch of martial artists fighting that have all different martial arts styles, I would assume people think mixed martial arts. They think the UFC because the UFC in real life really is blood sport, right? Like it really is a bunch of people from all over the all over the world with different martial arts styles coming in to see who's the best. And so right. I thought that if they're going to introduce an MMA character, I was like, okay, well, he's going to do MMA fighter stuff. But it turns out, no, it turns out that he just gets like metal jacks arms and Baraka blades on the ends of them. And it, he, Cole Young is, all right, so this movie... There's a there's a lot of things this movie does right, and there's a lot of things this movie does wrong. And unfortunately, all the things this movie does wrong can be boiled down to two giant mistakes, okay? One of them is the inclusion of Cole Young at all. Yep. He he shouldn't be there. He's not needed to be to have exposition talk to him by that could be literally any other character. And we have so many characters from the game that I that me and all I'm sure every other fan would would want to see. You could give exposition to Stryker. You could give exposition to Sonya. You could give exposition to Jax. You could give exposition to Johnny Cage or uh, the other countless numbers of characters who aren't in this game uh, or in this movie. There's no reason to have Cole Young just to be the the exposition uh, developer. But then also, not only is he taking... Not only are we not getting uh, more of the lore of certain characters who are in the movies fleshed out like, we don't have a proper introduction to Kano. He just shows up with a weird Brooklyn accent. Or we don't have a proper introduction to 
uh, and I'm sorry, Cabal, not Kano. Cabal. Yep. Uh, we don't have a proper introduction to um, Kano and Sonya's backstory. We don't have a proper introduction to uh, Liu Kang and uh, and the and what's who's the who's the uh, ninja clan that he works for, right? We don't have any, yeah, we don't have a proper introduction light. to all of the all of these ninja clans and what their um, their interactions are with each other. Because instead, we have to watch Cole Young take his family to like a Dairy Queen <laughs> and have like a, have a cute moment together, um, or, or watch him watch him just lose a fight like a like a fucking loser, a random fight. Um, and then in the locker room, his opponent is there, and his his opponent is like, "Good job," and he's like, "Thanks," and that's it. <laughs> that's it. That's that was a very important scene to include, Dave. We don't have time for all the for all the other characters to have moments. Um, it's 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 it's. A huge problem and not only is it taking away from all of that but he's also inserted as it, he becomes the leader of the group for some reason uh it's it's something it reminded me um in in, a, in to to again bring up something from our personal interests that will completely alienate all of the listeners of our show uh it reminded me a lot of the way the wwe handles whoever they're trying to promote the hardest at any given moment, it's like no, it's just him. It's like uh, yeah. it's like the episode of The Simpsons with Poochie, right? Where right. um, where Homer Simpson is like, and whenever Poochie's not on screen, every character should be like, "Where's Poochie? What's Poochie <laughs> doing?" Uh, like it's like like not only is Cole Young the the one who gets all the exposition uh, like blabbled to him throughout the entire film, but also he's the one who has to step up and become the leader of the team. Like when there's the scene where they're in the the white void purgatory land or whatever uh-huh. and cole young is the one who's like no we need to step up for earth realm i'm you two go there you two go there i'm like who the fuck are you dude right. luke kang the guy who's been trading his entire life for this moment is standing right there yeah. lord raiden is standing right <laughs> here why are you the one who's taking charge like who the fuck are you you're the guy who sucks at fighting so bad that you're like stupid superpower uh, is that you get punched enough that like you get two two blade weapons? Like what? What is that? And that was the other thing. The Arcana, the other the other fatal mistake of this movie was having uh, everyone's everyone needs a superpower. Yeah, right. Yeah, that was that was so dumb, and it takes away the just just make it. I I I don't understand where where that came in. There's no reason that every character needed a superpower. I get that you can explain away. Oh well, Luke Kang can do fireballs because this is Arcana, or um, or uh, uh, Kano has a laser eye. No, I, I'll get to the laser eye. Uh, uh, Sub Zero can um, freeze things because it's Arcana. He has the ice powers or whatever. You know, like you have all the characters that they that's that's why they have those powers. Um, but then but then you have to then make the leap. It's like, well, Jax's Arcana is he gets metal. He gets better metal. Yeah. Arms. Not only does he get so metal arms, him, but his metal arms just get bigger. He just gets better metal arms. That's his superpower. Jack or uh, Kano gets a gets a laser eye, it, it, which one of the biggest things that uh, happens to the the Earthrealm characters here is the introduction of cybernetics. It's where Jax gets his metal arms from. It's where Kano gets his laser eye from. It's where later we get Cyrax, right? Yep. Um, you, you get you all of these cybernetic characters, and now we've completely eliminated that jump um, to to just be like, nah, they they got they get generic superpowers. Everybody gets a generic superpower. Pick a generic superpower. That's what you get. Uh, yeah, and the so Kano lame. character, the Kano character is like makes fun of it, right? Like he's like he's like, oh, so I get a superpower now. And man, <laughs> we should say that guy steals the show. 
Kano, for me, best part of the movie by far. Apparently supposed to have been played by Michael Bisping. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I'm glad he wasn't because <laughs> the guy who played him, uh, who was actually an Australian act- uh, actor this time, uh, Kano is played by uh, Josh Lawson, um, genuine Australian actor, not lying about it. <laughs> right. Not just a British guy. He, he does a fantastic job. Um, he, he gets most of the, uh, the comedic lines in the film. Uh, and really ties it all together. Um, he was great. I wanted it, to see the whole. Th- I just wanted to see the Kano show. You know, when when he's on screen, he commands the presence of the entire thing. He draws it all together. Um, the film. Uh, I thought every all the actors really stepped up. Um, I've seen a lot of people judging uh, Sonya Blade's acting in this, um, and uh, especially Louis Tan's acting as Cole Young. Um, but I I felt like everybody did as good a job as they could with, yeah, with, 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 with what the film was. I didn't think Sonya um, was particularly bad uh one of the things though that this movie does lean into hard is how hyper violent it is especially like we mentioned earlier uh kung lao's fatality like when he uses his hat as the razor blade and they drag that lady's body through it and cut her in half like forefront of camera i was like holy shit i stood shit. up and cheered so badass um it's awesome i love the the way they incorporate as many fatalities and moves from the game as they could in this um kano punches through reptile and pulls his heart out yep uh i loved i loved the way that they portrayed reptile also that was awesome um the uh, it is a it is kind of a bummer that a lot of the 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 nether realm characters the bad guy characters like we have melina in this movie who gets no backstory whatsoever even though um arguably melina and uh katana who's not in this film are like the Gamora and Nebula of the Mortal Kombat universe. Sure. Great comparison. Um, yeah. Like they're yeah, they're they are the daughters of uh of the guy I forgot the name of again. Shao Kahn. <laughs> Shao Kahn? God damn it. Fuck. I swear I'm a fan of this franchise. <laughs> uh, they they're the daughters of Shao Kahn, um, who is a who is is basically it's the same as like it, it, as the MCU portrayed Thanos and and his and uh, Gamora and Nebula. Right, it's it's Shao Kahn is this conqueror who wants to take over all the realms. That's maybe that's why they didn't get into it because they were just like, well, this is the same as as the MCU thing. Yeah. Um, but but they uh, but they do Melina set up a sequel, is like right? The neglected daughter because she's she's not uh she's half uh human blood and half uh whatever Baraka is. Yeah. Um, and Katana is like fully human, so he she's like the more favored daughter. Um. So I, I mean, it's they had a lot to go into there, but instead we just get Melina. She barely gets her her pointy teeth for like a second, and then she gets a whole punch through her stomach. Yeah. So so she's dead. Um, I I wish we got more from the characters who were who just unceremoniously killed off in this. Uh, Goro is a giant CGI character who gets the one scene where he's fighting uh, Cole Young and he's trying to kill Cole Young's family. And Cole Young just like that's where he gets his power and just chops him up into little bits. I thought that scene um, was hilarious because he absolutely disembowels Goro and he's covered in his blood. And then he runs over and his wife and daughter both like embrace him. I was like, ew, gross. He's covered in monster <laughs> blood. It's it's such a unceremonial send off to the boss of the original game. Uh, like we didn't even get to Mortal Kombat in this movie. I know the, the that's Mortal what I was Kombat thinking. didn't happen. They, they don't How even get to the tournament Goro before we get to the Mortal Kombat. Yep. Um, Shang Tsung also in this movie, I thought pretty lame. He keeps doing this thing where he like um, menacingly walks on screen 
over and over again. They keep doing the Shang Tsung menacingly walks on screen, and it never really amounts to very much. Why would you not bring back Kerry Tagawa after he like he did such an amazing like his character allows for it right like it's it's a shape shifting character like sure he he gets older he gets younger uh, he did such an amazing job in the first in the first movie and he's played the character in the video games now yeah. just bring him back who cares like, <laughs> like I'm sure he would have done a much better job um, there was a lot of awesome work from the actors in this film though as much as I, I have a lot of complaints but I also I do want to put praise where it, it should be uh, given. Louis Tan uh, is a fantastic uh, martial, martial artist on the film. I really liked how they made Sub-Zero so intimidating in this movie. Like, at one point they say, they're like, how are we going to fight Sub-Zero? And they're like, we can't. No one can fight him one-on-one. We have to fight him together. Right. And he is from the raid. Like I brought up before. Oh, okay. Like, we, we, there's like, there's, in Hollywood, there's like pre and post the raid for action movies. Uh, Joe Taslam is one of the uh, main characters in the raid. So he he brought all of his skills that he did. And before fighting him, uh, McCade Brooks, who who plays Jax, said that um, he would go so fast during the fight scenes that they had to have him slow down. Right. And that it was a um, he also watched the raid because he knew that he was from that film and he knew he was going to have to do fight scenes with that guy. And he said it totally intimidated him <laughs> after watching the movie. He's like, I shouldn't have watched that at all because I came in, I went into every fight scene being completely intimidated then. All psyched out. Um, the fight scene between Jax and Sub-Zero uh, has an, uh, is another uh, scene with a uh, gra- graffiti button combination on the wall. I don't know if you picked up on that. Down forward but low before, punch, like we talked about. Down right LP yeah. is spray-painted on the wall, uh, which is the, the button command for Sub-Zero's ice freeze move in the Mortal Kombat games. Basically, so, basically everything Sub-Zero is involved in in this movie is badass. The initial fight scene with Scorpion. The backstory between Sub-Zero and Scorpion is done so perfectly. Uh, the, the opening sequence is amazing. Um, and they get they get both those characters' backstories done really well. Um, and then I really like the fight between them at the end, where uh, to set up uh, for future films, uh, where um, uh, Sub Zero's blue uh, ninja outfit is stripped away, and he's left with just his black uh, new Cybot outfit. Yeah, um, that gave me a little little tingle to my nostalgia button. Uh, I was really excited to see uh, that happen. Noob Saibot being one of my favorite characters. Named after um, Ed Boon and John Tobias. Their names backwards. Yes. Um, and then, oh, so if you want to bring that up, it's mentioned in the film that Cole Young had pre- previously um, beaten uh, Ed uh, Tobias. Which oh, is uh, just both of their names put together. Neat. So um, I thought I thought this movie... It had a lot of problems, but it had great potential. I appreciated how much they leaned into the lore and the um, the visual style of the Mortal Kombat uh, universe. I wish they didn't include Cole Young. Um, there was there was plenty of room there to just do the Mortal Kombat characters. Um, but I'm I am very hopeful for the the future of this version of the franchise, which we will probably be getting because. Uh, they set up the sequel at the end. Joel Tasm, who plays Sub-Zero, has been signed on for five films. Five films? So, All right, let's calm down. Yep. <laughs> so we, with the success of this movie, we're hopefully getting many Mortal Kombat movies uh, to come. And maybe, you know, eventually we'll, we'll get to that Mortal Kombat. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, I know. They finally actually do the Mortal Kombat. <laughs> yeah, at the end, they set up the sequel because they showed the Johnny Cage poster in the MMA gym. Um, so, you know. Did you hear who's uh, campaigning to play uh, Johnny Cage in the next movie? Is it Jean-Claude Van Damme? 
It's uh, Mike the Miz Mizanin, oh. who uh, has been lamenting on social media uh, that he was not included in the film to play Johnny Cage and is, uh, is, is trying to get uh, creator Ed Boon to... Um, to promote him as the as the the main guy to to play that character um ed boone has said so far that he makes a very compelling case for um stepping in as johnny cage yeah that's a pretty johnny cage thing to do what uh what the miz is doing right now so i i think he'd be a great johnny cage sure (laughs) i I don't know (laughs) i he can he can surely uh he can he can give it a shot uh work on his high kicks do you have any final thoughts on on 2021's Mortal Kombat. A uh, perfectly passable action movie. I'm glad that they got back to the lighthearted nature of uh, the original. Mortal Kombat Annihilation, entirely too serious. Um, this movie, you know, just even just to see it for Sub-Zero and Kano alone, uh, I thought it was very good. I'm excited to see a sequel. I would highly suggest this movie. I thought it was great. Um, the action in it was top-notch. The fatalities that were portrayed in it were awesome and accurate. Uh, I could have done with a little bit more techno syndrome. I, I could be honest. <laughs> we did not get enough of that theme song. I mean, song. you could it just was, say that for any movie, really. I mean, it was peppered throughout. They, they kind of broke it down and made it more cinematic. Uh, but I wish we got more of that crazy techno song um, throughout. But uh, overall, I thought it was very good. I'm excited to see where it goes. And I'm hoping they can bring back. I mean, they did kind of like throw themselves an out there where they were like, no, nah, death is like whatever. Uh, at the end of the film. So maybe they can bring back some of these characters that, that were killed so unceremoniously. But I, uh, I'm excited for the future of this uh, Mortal Kombat series. Uh, so next, you and I are going to be recording our second Patreon-specific episode, I think, right? That's, we, that is what we have planned next. Uh, we have a Patreon poll up right now for uh, what you would like to hear us uh, cover in a Patreon-exclusive episode. Uh, based on the movies that we talked about but did not get into during our monster series. Uh, The poll right now has Rodan, Godzilla vs. Megalon, King Kong Lives from the the sequel to the 1980s King Kong that I thought was atrocious, and King Kong Escapes, the sequel to the uh, Toho 1960s King Kong, which I don't remember at all. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, if you would like to hear us talk about any of those films, please go over to our Patreon um and uh put cast your vote in that poll if you are not yet subscribed to our patreon but you would like to support the show um supporting us on patreon is the best way that you can support us if you like this very dumb thing that we do um and try our hardest to get to you on a regular basis uh look at us up on instagram um follow us on your favorite po- uh, podcast platforms make sure to uh leave us a like and a rating um, and keep on supporting us uh, in any way that you can if you enjoy the content that we create. And uh, Dave, uh, send us off with that famous catchphrase of yours. Thanks, everybody. What's new today? Nothing's new, Dave. I'm extreme. Ugh. All right, well, that's it. Cancel the show. God damn it. Right off to the vet. Sorry. <laughs>